Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. The UK net zero carbon building standard brought to you in association with Pinnacle Engineers. Right, so good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome to this afternoon's um, session um, on this uh, lovely summer uh, day. Um, Today we're going to present to you the uh, UK Net Zero Carbon Building Standard. Um, my name is uh, Demi Eliniadis. I'm an Associate Structural Engineer for Pinnacle Consulting Engineers. Um, I'm a Sustainability Task Force Leader for Pinnacle. Uh, Pinnacle is a civil and structural engineering consultancy with a European clientele with a global reach. We're experts in buildings for the energy markets, logistics centers, industrial build, data centers, pharmaceutical uh, buildings, and the like. Um, for us as consultants, the net zero carbon building standard is very important as it helps us establish a working framework within which we will be able to achieve the UK's pledge in becoming carbon neutral by 2050. This, this in essence, pledge is to mitigate the global warming uh, effect by 1.5 degrees and setting those targets within. So, not to delay this any further, so we can pass on to the um, experts of this talk. Um, there's been three individuals um, that are to my left who have been key and instrumental in creating this uh, standard for the UK. Uh, we've got um, Sarah Radcliffe, who is the CEO of uh, Better Building Partnerships. Hello, Sarah. Um, Sarah has almost 20 years experience working with many of the UK's um, leading property investors and developments, uh, developers on sustainability issues. Sarah also sits on the standards governance body, will oversee the development of the standard and will ensure its long-term success. Uh, to her left, we've got Matt. Matthew Collins. Matt is a, both a member and a staff member of the, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, um, leading Rix's involvement, uh, collaboration and output in respect to sustainability within the built environment. Matt is also leading the update to the Rick's professional statement in the whole life carbon assessment for the built environment and sits on its technical steering group for the standards. And last but not least, we've got Will Arnold, Will is a fellow uh, and staff member of the Institution of Structural Engineers, uh, responsible for embedding the sustainability action into all aspects of the institution's work. Will is the lead author of the Part Z that we're all accustomed to campaign to regulate embodied carbon in the UK, and also sits on its uh, technical steering group for the standard itself. So without any further ado, um, We'll start with Math, Math, Matthew. Sarah. Starting with me, I think. Or, or Sarah. <laughs> we can start with Sarah. So what are some of the biggest challenges? Presenting first. We have a short presentation about the standard before we go to yes, the um, yes. discussion. Right, so let's, let's start with the presentation first. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Afternoon, everyone, and uh, thanks for the introduction. I'm going to do a, a, a triple act here. Uh, so I'm Sarah Atcliffe. I'm going to talk, uh, to begin with, about the aims of the uh, net zero carbon building standard. So um, 
a little while ago, and many of you in the room uh, have all started working, hopefully, on developing, managing buildings to improve their sustainability and in particular to address climate change challenges. But the real question that the whole industry has really around this, all the different stakeholders, is how do we know that a building is net zero carbon? So we have a UK target to reach net zero carbon. Um, thanks to the work of uh, the industry, we have a roadmap for getting there. But how do we actually know that the buildings are net zero? And this is effectively the exam question for the net zero carbon building standard. So the aim of the standard really is to enable our industry to uh, robustly verify that all sorts of different built assets are net zero um, carbon in line with those aspirations. Um, what we mean by that is the net zero carbon building standard is going to work with those high level targets, those kind of carbon budgets that are set in a national level and work out how those relate to the built environment and sectors within the built environment. Um, and how do we then provide a framework by which uh, those, bills, those buildings can then be verified as net zero carbon? So that's the exam question. Uh, who is the standard for? Well, hopefully it's for everybody here today. Um, but more specifically, it's for essentially anybody in the built environment, be they an investor, be they a developer, a lender, a contractor, a property manager, a facilities manager, those seeking to provide um, uh, services to the sector or materials to the sector. It's about anybody who wants to fund, procure, design or specify net zero buildings and wanting to demonstrate robustly um, that they're operating within a framework uh, that is backed by the industry. So that's all kind of about what the standard is and who it's aimed at. Um, one of the things that we've had to work on in terms of the development of the standard is what the principles are for the standard. And um, try not to fall off the edge of the stage, <laughs> that'd be a bit embarrassing. Um, one of the, the, the kind of things we're looking for in terms of the principles for the standards are clear and consistent definitions that can be used across the industry. There are already multiple different definitions of net zero flying around. So one of the drivers of the net zero carbon building standards is to provide a clear definition and trajectories of where we need to get to um, uh, with buildings uh, to meet our net zero carbon uh, targets. It needs to be easy to use. Uh, it needs to be achievable, but also has ambitious requirements. So uh, there's a really interesting balance there. And this is about an asset level uh, standard. So there are lots, all sorts of different net zero standards that exist out there, some based around corporations, some based around funds, um, some based around portfolios. This is a building an asset level um, standard. Uh, some of the technical principles we've had to look at as a standard is how we deal with operational carbon, but also embodied carbon. How there is a strong emphasis placed on demand reduction and through that energy efficiency. 
uh, eliminating the performance gap. Uh, so uh, the way that buildings are actually designed to perform is rarely how they actually turn out in the end. And so the standard is very much kind of driven by wanting to uh, eliminate that performance gap. Um, so prioritizing the reuse of buildings, so making sure that we have a thorough understanding of whole life carbon to ensure the right decisions are made around um, uh, uh, investment decisions and development decisions about developing new, refurbishing or improving existing buildings. And then also enhancing renewable uh, energy generation. So those are some of the technical principles that underpin the standard. Uh, the standard um, will be designed to apply to all sorts of different sectors within the built environment and applicable to both new and existing buildings. Um, and you can see that there's a wide range of um, building typologies here. And to begin with, there will be a focus on uh, the most common building typologies, but in time, the standard might develop uh, further in that respect. And what the standard is going to do, and what we're going to hear a little bit more about in a moment, is how the performance targets and performance outcomes have been developed for those sectors. And finally, in terms of kind of introducing the standard, um, one of the things to highlight is that this is a hugely collaborative effort. So you will see that the UK um, uh, uh, Net Zero Carbon Building Standard isn't owned by or led by one organisation. It's a collaborative effort across the industry. It's overseen by a governance board um, who um, uh, receive input and recommendations from a technical steering group. And that technical steering group then splits out into different areas of Net Zero Carbon that we're looking at. So operational energy, embodied carbon. We're looking at how top-down modeling um, in terms of uh, climate change scenarios and uh, net zero carbon pathways can be married with practical bottom-up information about the assets that will be verified. We need to think about things like how we account for the carbon at different points in a building's life cycle and also address uh, the challenge of how buildings will report, verify and disclose in relation to the standard. We've got the sector groups and we've also had a huge call for evidence across the industry um, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that in a moment. What I'd like to end up on is just in terms of introducing the standard is just to highlight this is a hugely and I think unprecedented collaboration across the sector with multiple different organisations coming together underneath the standard, but also a huge voluntary effort from the whole built environment uh, industry to work together. Um, so we hope that today is part of engaging with the industry, um, highlighting how the standard um, has been developed to date and what needs to be done in the future. And we very much hope um, that um, you as an audience will provide feedback on that as the standard develops. Uh, so with that, I'm going to hand over to Matt, who's going to talk us through uh, a little bit about the performance levels that have been developed through the standard. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody, and um, great to see so many people turning out. Um, I'm Matt Collins, as you know, from the, from the RICS, and I'm going to have a few minutes talking to you about the... Uh, 
the performance levels and the work that's gone on in the last, say, six, eight months or so in terms of where we've got to and the work that we've done around that. So in terms of developing them, um, I think the first thing to say is there's a big red arrow there at the bottom, and I kind of want everybody to take note of that. We haven't reached that. We haven't reached the, the limits that we're going to set yet. We're not, we're not even close to being, being able to do that, and you'll kind of figure out why as I continue talking. But yeah, so if you, if you were hoping that we were going to give you some, some numbers to take away and start designing towards, we're really not in a position to do that yet. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But as Sarah said, um, the kind of two key principles for the standard, it, it needs to be stretching but achievable and, and it's science-based and that really is the USP for the net zero carbon building standard. It, it, it does align with science, it aligns with what we need to do, not necessarily what we think we need to do. Um, so to kind of reconcile that, two primary work streams have been created um, that we've termed bottom-up and top-down. Um, so bottom-up uses benchmarking, case studies uh, and modelling to create levels of performance. So what can buildings actually achieve? What are they achieving today in respect to operational energy and um, embodied carbon? And then the top-down work stream is essentially where the science comes in, which will essentially establish the, the, the national carbon budgets, um, which show what we need to achieve to hit net zero carbon. And the kind of alignment of one between the other, or one and the other, which were kind of a stage that we need to come on to, which we're terming the bartering stage, is yet to happen. And that will ultimately then set the limits that actually give us the, le the limits that we need to achieve to hit, to hit that net zero target. Um, and yeah, as I said, that, that kind of red arrow at the bottom, these aren't the limits. So please don't, don't, don't look at the, the consultation document that's going to be launched next week and, and think that those are the numbers that we are putting out there for industry to hit, because they're not. In terms of what the performance levels represent, it's kind of building on that, and I kind of make no apologies for kind of stressing that, because we, we really don't want industry to think that, 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 we, that we're done, because we're only just starting. Um, in terms of operational energy, um, these, these, this is the technical evidence um, and represent the current mean, the current best practice and future exemplar performance of what buildings need and can achieve from an operational energy perspective and are based on, you know, obvious things like metered data, case studies and, and the modelling that's gone on in the last six to eight, eight months or so, excuse me. And from an embodied carbon perspective, um, we need... We're, we're, we're kind of assuming that, that we're somewhere between mean, the mean performance and, and, and current best practice is where we are now. Um, and we know that you know, the, the, the data that's provided to us historically and body carbon, you know, whole life carbon assessments are only really done on projects where sustainability has kind of got a high kind of ranking, if you like. So the, the information that we've been getting from an embodied carbon perspective is probably already... At a, at a higher level of performance than the kind of the industry standard, if you like. Um, and we haven't yet differentiated between best practice and, f and future exemplar. You know, future exemplar is really going to rely quite heavily on, on material decarbonisation. And the design decisions we take in today can only really have a limited effect on that. So there's a lot of work that needs to go on to, to ultimately create those limits that, we, that, that we're going to produce for industry to, to hit. Um, and so at the minute, what we're doing in terms of embodied carbon levels of performance, it's the, it's the range of data we're receiving today, and that sits somewhere between um, the percentiles of mean and the, me the median and the mean value. But again, there'll be a lot more information in that in the, in the consultation document that comes out. 
In terms of where we are today, in terms of what we've got, the position we've got to with the launch of the, uh, the technical consultation document next week, is, is that um, you know, we've got new build, and I stress new build, this isn't, we're yet, we're yet to, to get to kind of existing building levels of performance, but we've got uh, new build performance for operational energy and embodied carbon. So alongside the technical fundamentals for the standard, yes, I am reading this, apologies, these new build performance levels are a real key focus for this consultation, and I, and I stress that again, they, they're, they're a key focus for this consultation. And the performance levels represent what can be achieved at an individual building level, again, picking up on what Sarah said about this being an asset level standard. They're not the final net zero carbon building standard limits, and those are pr produced once we've gone through that bartering exercise that I spoke about. And then just a kind of a, a final thank you. Um, we issued a call for evidence, I'm sure uh, a lot of you here were, were, were part of that, where we asked for data to, to, to inform these levels of performance that I've just spoken to you about. Uh, and, we, and the numbers there speak for themselves. We've got a, a huge response from industry, um, two, over 200 projects from a, from a best-in-class building, from, a, from metered energy data. We've got embodied carbon um, modeling data from over 800 projects. 500, over 500 of which were used to inform the levels of performance that we've got. And again, there's just a list of some names there, that, that some of the people that provided that information. So a big thank you if any of you are sat here today. Um, and that's enough from me. So I'm just going to hand over to Willie, who's going to talk to you a bit more about the consultation that's soon to be launched. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, so yeah, so you heard it here first, which is, sounds good to say, doesn't it? Um, Next week, we're going to launch a consultation document on the levels of performance that Matt's just spoken about. Um, you heard it here first, because we haven't actually finished writing the press release yet. Um, <laughs> but we thought this was probably too good an opportunity to pass to tell people about what was coming. So just a couple of slides on what the consultation is and what we're going to be asking for when it launches. Um, there's two main aspects to this consultation, right? And this feeds, you know, this builds on what Matt was just explaining. The first is the, the sort of technical proposals work that we've done. So there's bits in this consultation pack about the decisions we've made as a group of collective volunteers that goes into the hundreds now that talks to um, what you would or wouldn't have to report as part of the standard, um, decisions that we made on how we approach uh, setting embodied carbon limits for retrofit projects, for example, um, and all sorts of other decisions like this that have taken you know days and hours to come to. They're, they're outlined in the document. And alongside them, we've got the second part, which are the, the performance levels that Matt spoke about. Those two things, that sort of technical, uh, technical proposals, technical decisions, if you like, and the levels of performance we've achieved so far, they're what we want to get feedback from you all on at this point in time. Because that constitutes the sort of bulk of the work that we've done so far. Um, as you can see, we're asking basically everyone who knows about this to respond. Um, I imagine that if you're listening, this is probably relevant to you, and so please, if you can find time to respond, please do so. Um, we're kind of after different things from different people. You know, if you work on LCA in your, you know, in your place of work, and that's kind of what you do for a living, there's certain things in here that are going to be of real interest to you, and other bits maybe less so. If you're a developer, it might have flipped and be completely the other way around. The consultation questionnaire that goes out alongside the documentation is mostly full of optional questions. So the idea is that you can respond to the bits that you're best placed to respond to. You don't have to answer every single question on every topic that we're asking for an opinion on. It's absolutely fine. Pick the bits suited to you 
and answer on those. And there's a page, sort of four or five pages into the document that basically says, if you're interested in this, please try and make sure you answer this, and so on. If you do have an, you know, if, if you're like me and you have a, um, you have an opinion on basically everything, then feel free to give us your opinion on everything. We won't stop you, please do. Um, in terms of the documentation itself, it's going to look a bit like this. It's quite long, um, hence making the questions optional. I think it runs to about 100 or so pages. We're also going to give you quite a long period of time to look at this and get back to us. More on that in a minute. Um, you see that sections two and three are titled technical fundamentals and technical requirements. That's that sort of decision-making bit that I spoke about at the start. So that's where you go to learn about the decisions that are being made about how we're going to set certain types of limits, the sorts of things we're going to ask you to report on, and so on. And you see that under technical requirements, there's subsections within the sort of metrics, which is you know the, 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 the numbers you're going to be asked to give, whether it's embodied carbon, operational carbon, number of PVs you've got, things like that. Um, different bits on limits and, and other, which obviously picks up some other bits. And then you'll see section six and seven is on the, on the performance level stuff. The, the primary focus of doing this, you know, I said that there's two things, but really the primary focus for us is on the levels. This is six or eight months worth of work based off, you know, coming up for 4,000 projects worth of data that's been pulled into the standard across operational plus embodied. On top of that, there's been teams doing all sorts of modeling, so particularly on an operational energy side of things. We've had teams from each of the sectors that Sarah showed sit down and model best case scenarios, future exemplar scenarios for their building types, allowing for performance gaps and so on, and then comparing it to the data we've received and, and so on and so forth. That's given us data plots that look like things like this and other tables and so on. That's what's going to be included in there, and we'd love to hear from you do you think it's achievable? Does it align with what you'd expect? If it doesn't, and you have data to back up why it doesn't, please send us your data, or please get in touch to tell us what data sources you've been looking at. Um, as Matt said, we're not at the point yet where we're setting limits, and we're not at the point yet where we're saying, if you're going to build a hospital, it has to be less than this amount of energy and this amount of embodied carbon. We're at the point where we're saying, this is what we understand the industry can achieve so far. So if you've got an opinion on that and you think it's a bit wrong, this is the time to let us know, please. So there's, there's kind of three or three and a half steps to this, I suppose. Um, we're going to launch the documentation in about a week's time, so please look out. If you don't follow us online, I'll put up some links in a second so you can, or obviously you can Google us. Um, have a look at the documentation when it comes out. There will then be a webinar, um, which I think is being set for early July, maybe, yeah. Matt? Yeah. yeah. Early July, um, there'll be a webinar. We'll go into more depth. There'll be a big Q&A piece in that, so you can ask lots of questions if you've already had a look and so on. And then there'll be a survey that, as I said, is mostly optional that will stay open for most of the summer. The deadline to have in your mind is to basically respond by the time you go away on your summer holiday. If you do that, you go away feeling great. We get lots of data back before we get to the middle of August. Um, and then there's sort of the, the half a step at the end. If, Like I say, if you've got more data, please get in touch. We particularly are looking for data on embodied carbon. Um, you'll see in the pack when it comes out, there's a few sectors where we just didn't really get enough data in. Or the data that we did get in was patchy or things weren't quite communicated well enough for us to be able to do anything with it. So I think retail, data centers, and sports and leisure sectors, we just didn't have sufficient data come in to be able to put together one of those um, histograms that I just showed at this point in time. So if you've got data on those, there'll be a, there'll be a link in there for you to submit that through. Um, and there's a, few, there's a few other sectors where we're a bit low, we'd always like a bit more and so on as well. But it's all, it's all contained within the documentation. 
I'm going to leave this up for those of you who don't follow us, and then I think Dimmy's going to sort of lead us through some Q&A with the rest of our time. But that's what's coming, and please look out for it. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you, Will. Should we go through the Q&A questions from the audience? So one of the questions is, how is the standard dealing with the economic growth when looking at sector carbon limits? I can have a go if you want. So um, one of the task groups that's working on the standard is the so-called top-down task group. Their job is to understand what the carbon budget for the built environment looks like in the UK now and in the future. Um, and that means they have to know not just what the budget is, but also how it's going to be expected to be used up. That relies on understanding growth of different sectors. That's your economic growth side of things. You know, how are the different sectors going to expand? How much of that's going to be retrofit versus new builds? Um, the people in that task group specialize in this kind of area. They were picked specifically to do that work. It's not the sort of thing that I think I or Matt would know how to do, but plenty of other people out there do. So, so they're working on that at the moment. Um, one more question, interesting question this. Um, will the standard be able to be used by all project types, including all types of fit out and retrofit by landlords and individual tenants? So um, that, that question um, is a question which uh, really points to the scope of the standard. And uh, one of the, uh, some of the questions we've been asking ourselves as we go through the development of the standard is exactly who's going to use it, at what point in the property's life cycle is, are they going to use it, and is it, is it the standard that ought to be used for a whole building or for the respective parts of the building. Um, at the moment, uh, in terms of the standards development, there are things that we can do now in terms of the knowledge that we have as to how they might, that, that might be done, and there are other things we might look to in the future. So in response to that question, um, uh, the uh, standard is uh, designed for both new and existing buildings and for retrofit and refurb. Uh, so, in response to that particular part of the question, the answer is yes, it will cover those. Um, whether or not the standard will um, then uh, delineate between the different stakeholders in the building and which elements of the building they control or have influence over um, is a question that we need to grapple with going forward. But I think for the time being, we're going to look at it from a, a, a start with quite a simple approach yeah, to the whole building. Yeah. It's, it's just worth saying, I think, on the new versus existing side of things, um, whilst the documentation that comes out only has new build performance levels in it, that's because that's where the majority of the work's been done so far. I think it also includes commentary on the approach to setting reuse targets, uh, sorry, reuse limits on yeah. embodied carbon. Um, but the work on reuse, of reuse limits for operational energy just hasn't started yet. That's going to be taking place through the summer. That sort of modeling that I spoke about, we've done it for new builds, but we haven't yet done it for reuse. So that's, that'll be coming later, but we will have done all of it by the time the standard launches. And I think it points to a question about who's going to use the standard and when, which mm. is really important. So will it be used when the building's designed? Can it be used when the building's completed? Will it be used when the building's in operation? And all of those things are questions and, and things that will come out in the consultation documents that you will see. Mm.
Um, another interesting one is, do you foresee a single target or a range of targets for each property type? How would you address sectors, e.g. domestic, world buildings won't achieve net zero targets? Do you start? Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, so no, there won't just be one single limit for everything. Um, this has been broken down by sector very deliberately. We know that different building types perform differently. Um, I should stress that we're talking about limits, not targets, quite specifically. The sort of common language has become one of targets. But of course, you know, if I tell you that the target is 30 miles an hour, that would indicate that getting there or thereabouts or maybe exceeding it's okay. Whereas we don't talk about that, we talk about speed limits. You can't exceed them. So when we talk about operational energy limits and embodied carbon limits, these are upper bounds. There are targets included as well, or will be targets included as well, on things such as renewable energy generation on sites. And that's obviously a minimum that you've got to exceed. So just we're going to try and get this language sort of worked through the industry through the course of launching the standard. But no, it'll be, it'll be different for different sector types. It'll be different for new build and retrofits. And I think within some sectors as well, the initial feedback we've had has been that even within a certain sector, there's a need to maybe just differentiate between certain subsectors or certain sort of aspects within that. For example, you know, the obvious one's housing and multi-story concrete building that happens to have apartments in it will have a very different embodied carbon footprint to a single family home that's two stories with a timber roof on it. Um, thank you, Will. Another interesting one, which I've also have similar questions as a consultant is, will the standard be a live document that measures and tracks the carbon impact of a building during design? And how does it take into account gaps with EPDs that we're facing at the moment? I think that what goes. A question, that yeah, I th but I think it goes back to what Sarah was saying <coughs> in terms of who is going to use the standard, um, and ultimately, is the standard going to be a live document? Probably yes and no, which is not really an answer at all. But yes, in the respect of, you know, currently some of the questions that we are grappling with is: Are we going to verify net zero carbon in design? Are we going to say people are on track to be hitting net zero? because of the, the verification of their design, or are we just going to, for version one of the standard, say that actually it's a hard, that's the limit, and these are the times at which you need to measure your carbon, and if you hit those, you know, or don't hit those limits, you either do or you don't, it's a pass or a fail. Those are some of the questions that we still, we still don't have the answers to, and that's kind of part of the consultation, part of the exercise that we want to understand, and, and again, Sarah said it's about who, who actually is going to use the standard. You know, we think from the, from the work we've done that everybody's going to use it. We might be wrong. We might actually, from, from this next period of consultation, we might get a specific, some more dedicated feedback that tells us there's one particular area of, of the built environment or property lifecycle that actually is more kind of pushing for this than others. And, and perhaps we need to focus on that more. We don't, we're not, we haven't answered some of these questions. So, we can't really kind of define them here and now, but yeah, and, and really good question. So, so it's, like it's live at the moment, but it, it, will, it will be live in the future as well in the yeah. sense that we're not going to release this and then walk away from it. So the, the organisations who are working at governance board level are sort of committing to long-term ownership of this. There will be a version two. I, I don't, you know, nobody knows when version two will come. My guess would be within a few years of version one being launched. But but this is going to be a learning process. We're not, we can't answer all these questions now, right? This is the other thing. Mm. On embodied carbon, we've seen we don't really have the data out there in the industry at the moment to understand it to the same level of understanding we do on operational energy. 
but after two or three years of version one of the standard existing, we will, because we will have been collecting information on a level of granularity that we've never done before. Um, and so at that point in time, it'll be, you know, we'll have to ask ourselves the question, do we need to update things? So I think it'll probably always be live in a sense. Yeah, I think there's also a, a valid question about the pace of change that we're seeing mm. in terms of um, contextually and specific to the built environment, where we've already seen in the past kind of five or so years an understanding evolving of net zero carbon, but it certainly isn't as specific as we need it to be. And there are multiple factors that might come into play in the future. So technological innovation, for example, or skills development that might mean what looks achievable now uh, actually can be really challenged in the future. And we might be able to be more ambitious equally from the top down perspective. Obviously, we're working with emissions trajectories where we stand at the moment. In the future, those could also change depending on how fast, um, particularly in the UK in respect of the standard is decarbonizing. So there will be a need to ensure that the standard is updated on a regular basis uh, to take that into account. At the moment, we're just trying to walk before we can run with that and uh, trying to make the first steps towards getting something out there um, that the industry can utilize, that it can challenge, that it can contribute to, so that we build industry consensus around uh, what a net zero carbon building is. Very well. Um, another interesting one is, have you as a collective engaged with local authorities who have already implemented their own net zero performance limits through, for instance, the planning process? We, we, so we're speaking with quite a lot of stakeholders on this, um, and not just local authorities. Um, we've, you know, we're speaking with bigger and smaller. Anyone who's worked in this space so far, we've tried to make sure we've got, at least got some calls in the diary with them because we, there's no point us doing this from scratch. We recognise that from day one. We've got um, members of the GLA sitting within our task groups. They've obviously had this in planning now for a year in certain forms. Um, we've got calls lined up with Zero Waste Scotland, who are doing things up there. There's, there's, and, we, and we've got sort of a whole stakeholder engagement piece of work going on, on the side of all of this to try and keep it all in one place. There's a lot of activity on this at the moment. Yeah, I think as well, I mean, one, once the consultation is released, you know, one of the next steps for the standard is to think about how it engages with particular groups of stakeholders who might utilize the standard. And obviously planning authorities is one of those, but there's a whole wide range of stakeholders, investors, lenders, the developers, um, owners themselves, contractors, etc. And uh, the standard is planning to engage with all of those stakeholders to get their views on where, where we are to date with the technical development of the standard, but also what uh, the future development of the standard might be and uh, how that might impact particular users of the sector, oh sorry, of the standard. Very well. Um, one of the questions that was raised here as well is, this is going to be a guidance note more than anything. Will, will it become law in the future is a question. Will it become, how, 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 how will we sort of convince um, the wider industry or the parties or the government to invest in this in a more so it's, 
actually, first thing I'll say is, for those of you who are putting your hands up, please use the Slido app, and then your questions will come up, because yeah. um, we, we've got a lot to try and get through. I know it says a few scattered hands. Yeah, we can Will the Is the standard being written to be regulation? No, it's not. It's being written as a voluntary standard that clients and developers and so on can specify on their projects. Um, I think the hope from most people in the industry is, as a result of releasing it, it will send an obvious signal to regulators that this is how the industry is going to define net zero in buildings, which would therefore mean that if there was ever was to be regulation in this area, this would be a blueprint to follow. But no, it's, it's not being written as a, you know, when I have my part Z hat on, I do a different thing for this sort of thing, but this is not going down that sort of route. It's not a campaign. Colin? Yeah. You might have to shout, Colin, yeah. Uh, Let's do it. Colin Beatty from Black Consulting. My question's around the whole life carbon question is. Oh, you've got a mic, Colin. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, that's better. So, um, I've been working in this field for quite a long time now, and uh, way before Simon wrote the, the first um, professional statement for the, for the RICS. And at that time, whole life carbon was a, com a combined number for operational and embodied. In the last few years, we've seen this kind of split. So you've got the GLA bringing out um, whole life carbon guidance, and it's actually not. It's just um, uh, embodied emission guidance because the, whole, the, the operational part's taken out completely. Now, years gone by, you would do the whole life carbon assessment so you could determine whether something like moving from double to triple glazing would reduce your energy consumption more than the additional embodied carbon of putting in triple glazing. And that seems to be, that kind of analysis seems to be getting lost because of this departure between operational and embodied, where they, where they should really come together to give you a number, not be subdivided. Can you, can you yeah. provide any comment on that? Does anyone else want to get Yeah, I mean, I, I can sort of comment, and then maybe, will you can sort of come in with, with some more technicalities sure, of it. Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, one of, the, one of the principles of the standard is that it should cover whole life carbon. But one of the challenges with that is how practically that works its way through in terms of both new buildings and existing buildings. So the standard is absolutely looking at embodied and operational. What it's not trying to do is conflate those into one particular level of performance because that is a really difficult thing to do. And not only that, um, it, uh, in terms of the users of the standard, depending on who they are and what they will use the standard for, you know, the whole, whole life carbon assessment, for example, is very useful at the planning stage and if you're... Um, thinking about redevelopment or refurbishment, but when the building is in operation, there are a different set of questions and a different set of uh, users of the standard. So in developing the standard, we need to be quite cognizant of that, but in order to reassure you, there isn't a deliberate decoupling of those. They're very much seen as two parts of the whole, but in order to practically address it in terms of the performance limits and so on, they necessarily need to be, uh, the data needs to be gathered, uh, you know, it's different data that you gather. And so we need to understand that first uh, before we try and 
conflate too much together. So the, yeah, a couple of things to add. So has, so yeah. one is one is that um, actually the example you gave, I think you said you know triple glazing would lower your energy use but increase your embodied carbon, right? And the point is is that we care not just about operational carbon but operational energy. How much energy we're we using. And this country already doesn't have enough of those wind farms that we can see on the horizon. And we're a very long way off having enough renewable energy to provide for what everyone needs. So on the operational energy side of things, we need to look at not just what matters from an emissions point of view, but from an energy use point of view. So that we're only using our sort of fair share of what we predict to have in the UK by 2030, 2040, and so on. Um, so if we were to just set a whole life carbon limit, it would effectively put that sort of energy discussion to the side, which is why we need to speak about operational energy specifically. It's also worth saying that when, we, when we're going through the process of setting the limits, which is the next bit of work, which is informed by where we are now, which is what we've presented to date, um, we are looking at a, a carbon budget for the built environment. And when we set embodied limits and we set operational limits, you know, that will be done in parallel the aim being that you know, the sum total sits within the budget that we've got. We, understand, we, we get the point of view of, of course, there's trade-offs and things like that when you, on practical design, but in terms of making it implementable on every project, you, you just have to go down the route of sort of treating them separately, making sure that they both add up within the budget, um, and then treating operationally in terms of energy for the reasons that I gave. So that's the way it's going at the moment, and that's outlined in the consultation document, and please give us your feedback on that when it goes out. There's questions in there to that effect. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Um, this might be a, a very, very naive question. Um, I'm an architect and I've been working with the Letty standard for a, for a while and our clients are kind of getting grips to it and asking us for Letty targets. And I've just seen on your website that Letty are involved and we've also worked with the ROBA targets. So is this a new target? Is it combining those? Is it superseding those? Do I not talk about Letty anymore with clients? It's, um, so Letty and the RIBA are both involved. In fact, actually, the chair of the technical steering group is also the founder of Letty. So there's lots of overlap on this. I, we haven't had the discussion yet of whether this supersedes everything else formally. And I can't speak on behalf of the other institutions, but certainly the iStruct-T, once this launches, will be pointing towards the numbers in here rather than the existing numbers that are out there. Um, you'll see from the performance level work that comes out that they're not a million miles apart, which helps. Um, but yeah, the reality, because we're doing a much bigger data gathering exercise and going into much more depth on the operational side of things, we were never going to be able to do that and then just say, uh, we'll adopt the lessy targets. We were, we were always going to have to do this do this separately. But as, as far as we can, we're making sure there's at least sort of alignment in process and things like that. And, I, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, and the other thing that to say about the net zero carbon building standards is the top-down work. So this, the fact that science will inform those ultimate limits. It's not just what we can achieve from a, a design and a materials efficiency perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the question also points to um, examining the ambition around the standard as well. And there are lots of different organisations who sit on the governance board are involved in the technical steering group and in all the different working groups they are. And all the organisations that they're part of um, uh, come to the table with different sort of sets of ambitions around the standard. And one of the things we're really trying to do is collaborate so that we can all 
co coherently co coalesce around the standard. There may be uh, cases where specific organisations choose to deviate from the standard because they're either trying to do something uh, slightly different or, you know, in a different way. But the idea is that all the organisations are supporting the net zero carbon standard as uh, in relation to this very much kind of top-down approach. Um, and then there may be differing views, but, you know, that's why we're all working together on it to try and make sure that we don't make those differing views competing views and that we all stand together behind the standard. I guess another question as well is, this is going to sound stupid, do you do badges? So I have a client who's very keen on having a badge mm. that he can say, boom, this is a letty B. Um, we were talking about embodied carbon, so well, if we can't get a letty B, then what's the point? So. Is, will there be a similar thing? With Badge, the badges have been a topic of conversation for yeah. a long time. Um, I, we haven't concluded yet how the standard will approach it and whether the standard would say this is what you have to show on a certificate or not. Um, but I think that, you know, we, certainly we want, we want clients to be able to very clearly say whether or not they're aligned with this. That's, that's a really key goal of it. Whether that means a badge or not, I think it's still up for debate. I think it's really important to kind of have a discussion, not necessarily for now, but what the difference is between a standard and a scheme that gives you a badge. And there's a really important difference between the two. So the net zero carbon building standard is very much about defining the performance outcomes that buildings should achieve. Um, once we have done that as a standard, the process for verification will need to be considered. And for me, that's where the questions around the badges sit. You know, who verifies, who, who awards the badge? Etc. So again, um, definitely a discussion, a live discussion. Uh, but at the moment, what we're doing is trying to, to look at the performance targets and the limits first. Uh, and there is, a, as you will see, one of the working groups is all based around verification. And they're looking at those questions that, that you've raised as part of the work that they're doing. Okay. Um, should we go into oh, our questions? I think we're out of time. Is it? Yeah. Maybe we have time for one more. If, if not, if not, thank you all for attending, and hope to see you next year. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.